Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Oh. Welcome to the Heavy Hole. My name is Tom. That's right, it is morning. This is Big Will, a.k.a. Uncle Buck. It's morning? I'm Justin. Happy Friday, guys. Uh, Happy I'm Friday. saying this now from now on. Yeah. Wait, now you're throwing me all off. Because in, rea- in reality, because I'm the one that's transparent with the listeners, it's like 8 o'clock at night on a Tuesday. And these guys are talking about Friday morning. I'm all mixed up. I'm here for the listeners. Okay. You're here for yourself. I understand that. I'm the you selfish wanna, one. You want to talk about things like Long Island. Yes. And uh, death metal. Yeah. Yes. I, I want to talk to the friends. I, I wake up. I, I like, if you... If you like zoomed into my bedroom minutes before I wake up, you hear like Long Island death metal breakdowns. Right. Suffocation, pyrexia, internal bleeding, dehumanized, and even deeper cuts. You know, like that. Until like, your alarm clock wakes you up at uh, six sixty-six in the morning. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I had a, I tweaked that one. I had John Engman look at that one and kind of do, do the do the circuitry. For that he's good with the tweaking of the, the the gadgetry, as you all know. Listen, I but what I, what I want to know though, to to not be selfish and self indulgent and all about myself and what time and place I'm in, I want to know what time and place your weekend was in, Tom, and was it good? It's great. What time was your weekend? What time yeah. was <laughs> well, your Friday morning is on Tuesday night. It's a valid question. Yes. So by that logic, my weekend started sometime around Wednesday, uh, Wednesday morning. Um, it works. Trust me. Okay. Anyway, um, I'm here for it. What do we do? We did the party. We oh. did it. The one I kept talking about. We little, did it. Little magical party. It's magical. Beautiful yard. Yeah. Right. To have a party, and it was the nice day, nice and cool, even though it was July. Yeah. The sun shined on your party. That was a beautiful. Ga- I wore. I was overdressed. You were, um, but you looked good. There were people in death metal shirts, and I had on like a, a Nordica polo shirt. And I know, like, when you see these people, like, you look at me and Justin, too, you go, well, those, they have death metal shirts, but posters. But it was, like, more for it's, fashion, right? Yeah, it's yeah exactly. absolutely for like, like, they probably wouldn't know what the third track on Blood Incantations Live LP is. No. Don't be ridiculous. Don't even know that, Ben. Um, yeah, so we did that. It was great seeing you both there. This was good. This was yeah. a good yeah. out-of-the-basement adventure. I, um, I, I sweated a lot. And did an Irish goodbye. Let's keep it real. I was anxious. Yeah. There was a lot of normal people there that don't know me as Big Will, the death metal sensation. They just know me as the big hairy guy. I get a little sweaty palms. You know what I mean? But I had a nice... Your dad hugged me. That was nice. My dad loves you, man. Yeah. I, well, he, there were people who knew feeling, you. He was just feeling you out strength-wise to see if he could actually take you. I know. Well, after when you, when, that, uh, <laughs> that, that uh, <laughs> social media little uh, invasion. That when your dad leaned in, I thought maybe he was going to try to like establish dominance in front of the whole party. Yeah. But right. then, like, he leaned in for a pound and a hug. It Let's was, finish what I started. Was is good. What he was saying. Yeah, it was, no, it was good. No, I'm, good, listen. Good. I'm being facetious. I left a little bit early. I, I did. I, I dropped off the gift. I gave you the little kiss of congratulatories. Thank you, thank you both. You know, I, how did you guys know that I'm an alcoholic? Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, it's to share with your new family members. It's not to drink alone at the end of the night after everyone goes to bed. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Oh, uh, honey, I'm just going to go outside and finish cleaning up. You know, and then you down a bottle of Jack. Well, no. The, the next day was a monstrous hangover in which I, I, I just watched Macho Man promo cuts. Oh, and, boy. And had uh, took a few. 
in to take off the edge. That doesn't, the that, dog. that doesn't sound like a hangover. Yeah, it sounds like you're just keeping the party great, great on going. That's you know what? Great. I just feel so alive watching those. Old, I, I don't really have this thing where I need to watch the wrestling part. I just like watching the promos. Yeah, that's great, man. Yeah. Wow, I'm so happy you said that. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was a great... Well, afternoon of being hungover. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Well, no, what's surprisingly segwayable from Randy Savage promos is Tyler from Splattered Entrails' stage presence. I yeah. went and I saw Splattered Entrails live for their first performance since the global pandemic. Getting out. Uh, at Mr. Beery's uh, the other day, there was another beautiful death metal performance show. Percussor from Pennsylvania, big shout to them, also traveled up. Tartarus Horde. Uh, Whore Abortion. Um... Cute, cutely titled band. Right, horror abortion. Yeah, I, listen, listen, I don't want to That's like if Dr. Zeus from I, Death Metal. I saw yeah. Splattered Entrails and Percussor. I was excited about That's them. sick. Yeah, Great bands. Nice. I'm drinking coffee that you provided me, Tom, at your generous household, from my brand new Splattered Entrails mug. Justin, you're into design. You like art. I dabbled before. This is a nice mug. Looks good. Wow, look at this mug. Yeah, look at the colors. Look at the detail. Look at the, yes. Yeah, you want to sniff it? It's, yeah, I'll smell Listen. It was coffee. Ooh, it smells there. like delicious coffee. Yeah, a little half and half, maybe. It's actually, I think it's the. This is the uh, Grumpy Glen again. Oh, oh boy! Oh, wow. Well, I'm go. I'm bashful Bill over here because I'm enjoying this splattered entrails coffee mug. Shout out to splattered entrails doing it big with their brand new album Ossuary. Uh, you should, yeah, no, that's just a shameless plug. I love those guys. Good Long Island boys. Mm-hmm. The future of Long Island style heritage death metal, in my opinion. But, Justin, Beautiful. I want to know about the past of your weekend. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, we've said it. We were, we were partying. Uh, because of that party, it didn't, I didn't fish this weekend. Mm. So now I'm feeling a little antsy. Mm. Feeling a little, uh, you know, tapping my leg a little too much. Were you tapping your leg doing the hokey pokey at the party? Did, did I miss that? Things might have happened at the party. I do not recall. Yeah, you guys don't even remember what kind of dances were going on. It's crazy. I there were some know. pictures... That resembled violence, but I'm not mm. sure if they were violent. Yeah. They well, just... listen. I heard a lot of people thought I was angry at them while I was just having a good time. <laughs> so that's how I, my, that's how that's how it went. That's that's usually how my family get-togethers go. People are like, "Will, are you okay?" And I'm just like, "Yeah, I'm just chilling. Yeah. Turkey is great. Has the gravy." I, uh, I ordered Taco Bell on my way home, and it was there waiting for me when I got there. And then I fell asleep on it, not having one. Mm. And I was so angry about that when I woke up in the morning that despite how I was going to feel afterwards, I ate Taco Bell for breakfast. Damn. Oh, wow. Well, listen, waiting for us <laughs> is not Taco Bell that you can luxuriously lay down in. Uh, but a guest that we can nostalgically talk about the old school New York scene in which there was angry people. We're going to yeah. talk tonight mm-hmm. to a man... Who can, who can remember things that happened? This is a fucking 900. On the side. <laughs> We're going to, guys, the segue's going 900 right now. I'm just trying to hang on because our guest is none other than Maddie Death, uh, Cult Queen's Long Island personality in the death metal scene, remembered by different people for his work in Cerebral Hemorrhage and Tomorrow's Victim, currently revered for his triumphant return in the band Coronary Thrombosis who has just released a two-song demo and are playing a number of shows coming up in and outside of New York. We're going to get him on the phone to talk about just about everything I just said. Call up Long Island. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Long distance. Get Queens on the phone, kid.
Big Will from Heavy Hole Podcast. With me, as always, my loyal co-hosts, Justin and Tom. And uh, tonight, our special guest on the phone is none other than Maddie Death of Coronary Thrombosis, uh, formerly of Cerebral Hemorrhage and Tomorrow's Victim. Uh, And we're going to get down and dirty with him about all that. What's up, Maddie? How you doing? Hey, what's going on, man? I'm doing good, doing good. Yeah, glad to have you on the show, man. And I'm very excited. A lot of... We've had requests from you, especially from a lot of our Long Island and Queens people and stuff like that, man. A lot of people in the New York City metal scene know you, and we're going to try to spread that uh, um, that love for your bands uh, abroad a little bit too with this one, man. So, nice. uh, yeah, man. Appreciate so, that, man. Of, of course, man. And like I said, I want to talk about your bands, reminisce about some some old shows, talk about the new shows you got coming up. But before we do any of that, uh, the listeners know I want to ask you: Are you from a particularly musical family? Or was there anyone in your upbringing that steered you towards playing music or towards heavy metal? Yeah, actually, um, my father usually played piano a lot, you know, when he was growing up. And then, you know, when I was a little kid, I always heard him playing the piano. And uh, I guess there was both my parents' rules that you got to have, you got to do something with music. They want you to play a musical instrument. So both my older brothers were taking piano lessons. And uh, when I was about I think like four years old, even that young, I sat down and mimicked what they did. So, of course, naturally, right away, like, oh, my God, you got to take lessons, too, blah, 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 all of that. So I've been playing music ever since, really. So it's basically, it's because my father was, you know, into piano. Hmm. And that branched out to other things there, you know, like saxophone, all of that type of stuff also, before I got into the guitar. So, yeah, basically, I was copying everybody else in my family, except for the guitar. That was me on my own. Was it just playing around the house, or did anybody play out and play gigs of some sort, or parties, or anything? Nah, it was really just around the house. I mean, until, you know, until we got older, then we all did our music stuff in school, but, yeah, basically the piano was just around the house. I mean, as far as what my father did, you know, who knows when he was younger, I doubt he played any gigs. Maybe play for some friends, but that's about it. Okay, and you say older brothers, is that where heavy metal comes in? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's especially my oldest brother. You know, I always grew up around. Uh, you know, it was uh, Metallica was big, Maiden was big. They ain't metal, but Guns N' Roses. You know, their first album. You know, they're pretty aggressive. You know, Judas Priest, Ozzy. You know, Black Sabbath. I always heard them playing that type of stuff. You know, even Choir Riot, all of that. So I just took a liking to it. You know, to both of them. You know, listening to most most of my oldest brother, but they both were so. You know, that's really how I got into it. And um, where, you know, I, not not that I'm asking your home address or anything, but where are you from, uh, you know, in relation to New York City and Long Island? I'm actually right on uh, the border of Nassau and Queens. Been around here my whole life. Okay. You know, same neighborhood, not far from the Belmont racetrack. <laughs> yeah, I remember when, th- when that was still, like, in ruins. When I was in Cursed Earth, we snuck in there and used to hang out there a few times back in the late 90s. Oh yeah, that's uh, Park has been there forever, but they clamped down now. You know, when it's a big event, they don't let you bring in your own beer anymore. <laughs> you know, that sucks. Yeah, yeah. Um, wow. So, and just for the list, you know, we got a lot of listeners from New York and Long Island who we love, but we also have listeners around different parts of the world who don't know um, New York. So yeah, like if you look on a map, Queens and Brooklyn kind of just go right into Long Island, and it's all part of one geographic piece. 
Um, but, but Matt, what you're talking about is a very special part of Long Island that kind of bleeds right into New York City by way of Queens um, and, in, yep. and, and into the five, five boroughs. And, like, that, that was more my experience because my first band, Cursed Earth, was from there. And by the time I got into anything in the, in the late 90s and early 2000s, that's where the shows were. But it's, like, a, it's a different market. It's a different, like, for touring bands and that sort of thing than, like, East Long Island. It's a different vibe, right? Oh, yeah, big, big time. Big time different vibe, you know, because, you know, as you, as you know, when you say Long Island, you, you don't think Queens, Brooklyn, that's everybody. They separate, even though it's geographically together, no one always says, no one will say Queens and Brooklyn are part of Long Island. So I guess, you know, when you say New York City market wise, it's always more appealing, I guess, you know, when you, you play Queens, Brooklyn, Manhattan. But Long Island did have a lot of stuff. You know, way back when, I mean, the Roxy was huge. So many big bands played over there. You know, you had Sundance, you had briefly Continental Rocks, we had Lemoore's East. You know, so Long Island, in its own right, had a lot of, you know, a lot of big stuff, especially with suffocation and pyrexia out there, too, and internal bleeding. It's, you know, Long Island did have its own thing, too. So it's, yeah, different kind of scenes, but, you know, both of them, you get, you get great, uh, you get great gigs. Yeah. You know, both Long Island, New York. It's you'll always have a you know good show no matter what. Oh yeah, that's all. Making the point is that it's two different because some people hear New York, they hear they hear my accent on the show. Maybe they think that like it's all one thing in Manhattan somewhere. But you know, it's 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 uh there, there's a lot of um dynamics to the New York market. That's all I'm saying. And I want to get into shows and the scene and Queens and all that. But before we do, you talked about piano was big, playing a musical instrument was big in your family. Um, your your older brothers are listening to Black Sabbath, Maiden, the, the usual type of stuff. Uh, I imagine that's around the time that you start getting interested in guitar, right? Well, yeah. I mean, a few years later. I mean, before I started getting interested in guitar, it was mostly, I guess, uh, you could say a pipe dream. You know, it's kind of like, oh, hey, I want to grow up to be a rock star type thing. But it's uh, it definitely caught my eye. You know, you hear some of those great guitar players, you say, you know, wow, I wish I could do that. So I guess, you know, I guess you could say it did kind of lead me towards that direction. I guess I would have never started talking about playing music if it wasn't for that. So, when, tell me about your first guitar. All right, well, my first guitar was uh, actually a no-name brand uh, guitar research, basically. You know, it didn't have a lot of money, so I just bought, you know, cheapest one I could get. It was like a Sam Ash store version i guess because at that time you know i was about 14 years old and you know me and my friends so we always joked about starting a band but i said you know what screw this i'm going to get a guitar we're going to start getting this in motion right now <laughs> and then and of course they were all surprised when i actually brought one home and uh you know back then though it was easier stuff it was uh by that time all the uh, alternative music started coming out and so that's what was always around. So that's the first thing we had on our mind, even though, you know, my first love was, you know, the old school metal bands. Plus, it was the easiest thing to play. So that's how we started on. But basically, yeah, my first guitar was a guitar research guitar. It was uh, very cheap, but, you know, I got the job done. So that's all I needed. It's a good starter company, man. I remember having a an acoustic one of those. Why not, you know? Yeah, four, yeah 14 I mean, years old. Yeah. yeah, when you can't afford something big, it's... You know, especially if you're uh, not going on any tours anytime soon. So, hey, you know, got the job done. 
there's also that you know, thing where played in front of a bunch of friends. Fine. Yeah, there's that thing in the back of your mind too. You know, when you're a teenager, you might not stick with it, and you're like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna you know, scrape together five hundred bucks over the course of a whole summer to pick up something that I'm gonna drop in three weeks. Yeah, you know, I don't know. I remember. Yeah, uh, yeah, big time, big it's time. A, you know, you don't want to sink a lot of money into something that, like you said, you may, you may all of a sudden say, you know what, this isn't for me. It's intimidating. Yeah, especially as a kid when you don't have a lot, yeah, absolutely. A lot of money. Um, 100%. So, all right, so you're into metal. You're kind of holding back maybe, like, with the the alternative stuff that's going on. But I, with does death metal and grindcore come from your older brothers, or do they kind of stop at that, that more commercial metal and you get into death metal? Does it go that way? Well, actually, you know, my older brother didn't lead me towards it, but I was going through his cassettes, and then I saw a, a tape, you know, cassette, it said death. I'm like, what the hell is this? Death. Huh. I'm like, oh, it sounds pretty cool just because it was death. It was the album Leprosy. Mm. I'm like, oh, let me check out what this is. And, you know, it came on, you know, and then, you know, intro for the, you know, guitar. I'm like, all right, this sounds like a regular. Then Chuck with his first, you know, with his first growl. I'm like, wow, this is crazy. You know? Huh. Then from then on, like, the more and more I listen to it, I'm like, yo, this is, this is insane, man. This is great stuff. So I guess, uh, it wasn't him directly, but he just had the cassette in his collection. And then from there, you know, you discover college radio. You know, there used to be um, the nonstop speech shop in a funeral parlor. So from listening to death, you know, I, I was like, all right, let me check this out. This is cool. Then, you know, that's more and more I started hearing death metal. And I guess at first it was kind of weird for me because I'm, I was used to the old, you know, regular, I was used to the regular vocals and the vocals were always weird to me at first. But then they grew on me real fast, and I say, you know, it just this sounds great. You know, I love, I actually, I love this style. I love the music. The music is actually really, really what drew me into it because a lot of bands, you know, they they're a hell of a lot more complex than these alternative bands that were mm-hmm. that were going around back then. So that sort really drew me into it. Wow. So, and that's something I want to touch on later is how some of your projects. Um, maybe get a little bit more technical or a little bit more complicated than people might expect. Well, you know, when they when they think of New York and New York style or whatever the uh, the generalization is, man. So that's interesting to hear. You know, you come from a family where everybody is first in how to play a piano and different instruments, and the, you're saying that the kind of musicianship in death metal draws you in, right? Absolutely. So. What, well, what did your, you know, what did your parents think of death metal when, you know, like, was it were, were, <laughs> like, like, take, take me through that. Like, were they cool with Iron Maiden and Black Sabbath or was that taboo? And then was death metal a whole new level? What was that like? Well, I mean, they, uh, they were never really thrilled about it. They were like, you know, heavy metal, you know, those like, uh, that's too crazy. That's too, you know, like the common perception back then. It was like, oh, those guys are nuts. They look crazy. <laughs> all of that type of thing. Dude, they accepted it, I guess. You know, more of the heavy metal stuff. I mean, Black Sabbath has been around, so they've always, you know, for many years heard about it, but they never really took interest in it, I guess, you know, when they were younger. But yeah, they were a little uh, put off by it. Then when the death metal got involved, you know, they heard, uh, you know, the growling and the screaming. You know, my mother's like, oh my God, what is this? I don't want to hear this. You know, my father never said anything, but I don't think he was too thrilled about it either. But, 
you know, you know, the more your parents tell you not to listen to something, the more you're going to listen to it, <laughs> you know, regardless. The cooler it is. So, uh, yeah, they were a little weirded out by it. So, were there, were there, um, because we're talking, I imagine we're talking about what, like the early 90s right now? Yeah, about, um, 93, maybe 94. Okay, so, so take me back to your area, um, around, around Nassau, Queens. Are there record stores you could, guy, you guys could go to to check out, uh, for new metal and new underground records? I'm thinking maybe of Slip Disc and Valley Stream. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, that's. Really, the main one I was always going to slip this. That place was great. You could find any underground things, any underground bands, music in there. That was, except for another place right over the Cross Island Parkway on Hempstead Avenue, because you know the Turnpike turned into Hempstead Avenue. There was a small place called Twisted Disc that was kind of similar to Slip Disc, but mm. I closed down way before Slip Disc did. But yeah, Slip Disc was the go-to place. Yeah, a lot, lot of history, man. If people want to, if just for the listeners, they can go back to our, uh, a long time ago, we interviewed Frank Rini um, of Internal Bleeding, and he talks about how Slip Disc was like instrumental in him joining the band in a way, and uh, there's a big, he talks about the store a lot too. So it's, it's a histo- historical place. I think now it's called Sip This, and it's like a tea shop or something. They, they kind of made a yeah, play, it's, on, uh, play on the name. They actually did it in homage to Slip Disc, you know, Slip yeah. Disc, Sip This. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's like a, either a tea shop or a coffee shop, but yeah. you know, we missed the place, man. Yeah, no, it was a great place. I remember by there was I remember buying the Macabre Grim Reality record there. I'm just I'm just reminiscing now, but um, uh, so so all right, so death leprosy is one thing. Now, when I met you, I met you in like the late '90s, Castle Heights, dehumanized, yep. you know, the the thick of uh, uh, late '90s death metal and deathcore and all that sort of thing. And, and so, so take me through like your first underground show. All right, first underground show that was actually out in uh, Amityville. You know, it was most recently it was Revolution, no but way, when I yeah. first went there in '97, it was called Crawdaddies. Crawdaddies. You know, it was yeah, it was called Crawdaddies, and uh, didn't exactly look the same. You know, it wasn't opened up a little bit more, com- you know, a little bit more compact. Uh-huh. Stage was right in the middle by the bar. Yep. I mean, still a cool place though. And uh, I went to that. I went to a show because uh, I I was introduced. To, uh, Brian Wishin that used to drum for Reputilation. I met him actually in uh, college and I saw the shirt. I'm like, dude, what, what shirt is that? And he says, oh, it's my band Reputilation. So he told me, he's like, we'll play in this state. Come check it out. And I didn't know a lot about underground death metal, death metal really. I mean, I heard the songs on the radio. I was just like, oh, that band sounds cool. That band sounds cool. But I didn't know really the Long Island bands. And I was used to really speed, mostly speed. So going to this show it was this is weird just hearing you know a lot of beatdown breakdown stuff which i've seen at uh hardcore shows before that but i was like nah this is cool i could get into this man you know refutilation played disfigured played uh did did i think drew drogheda played dude that's you that was my first death metal show uh yeah i was out there yeah 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 and and ryan scamenti from disfigured sang for internal bleeding i'm pretty sure Oh, no, at that point, I remember they played... This is before Extinction and Benevolence came out. Okay. This was... Uh, Frank, actually, I think, was going through something, so he wasn't there. They played some instrumentals. I know John from Dying Fetus came up, and he he did Anointed and Servitude uh-huh. with them. You know... All right. I think... 
Immortal Suffering played back then, or either them or Fetus, one of them two played that show. And I know Immortal Suffering back then only had one guitar player, didn't even have a bass player. So, I mean, that was kind of weird, but a lot of that stuff, again, it was kind of new to me because the vocals were even deeper, you know, and even deeper and more powerful. And there was a lot of heavy chuck parts, and I was, I was uh, like, wow, people are moving to the slim. They're not moving, you know, to the speed shoulder blocking or whatever that I was used to. They were doing all, you know, the fists and, you know, all the kicks and all of that. So, but, you know, like I said, after a show or two, I was sold on it. Yeah, and and those Crawdaddies shows that was an era because it's easy to get confused because all those bands you mentioned did play Crawdaddies and then like Internal Bleeding and Reputilation played several shows there you know while that was hot for a while um, and I, I have great memories of those man that that, that, that always oh, I hope that that building opens up as an underground venue again at, at least but um yeah I'm not sure I, I supposedly a church bought it or something I don't know but. I really doubt it's going to be a venue again. I really hope it does. I really wish it would, but you know, I, unfortunately, I don't think that's going to happen. We'll get mortification and broken flesh in there, no problem. Um, uh, do a Crimson Thorn. We'll do a little Christian death metal show for the boys in there. Uh, but you said something there that I want to go back to. Um, I didn't even ask you, by the way, what your first metal show was or your first heavy show was. We just skipped to underground death metal, so let's go there for a minute. Like, t- like what's your first concert? Well, then, first concert overall. Uh, yeah, do I we mean, go? Do we go con- yeah, well, yeah, first concert overall, and then first metal. Well, first, like big concert overall, actually, was Nine Inch Nails. Believe it or not. Okay. It's actually, right. not the Downward Spiral tour. Wow. Actually, Nine Inch Nails, uh, Pop Bullied itself, and I think the Jim Rose Freak Show. Huh. You know, the three of them opened up. Wow. All I right. mean, that was kind of weird. <laughs> that's that's cool though. Mine was the monkeys when I was a little kid. At hey, nothing wrong with that, man. Westbury hey, listen, Music, man. Fair. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, man. Um, uh, and w- all right. So, what was your first like uh, metal show? Like, did like because I'm what I'm really trying to get at is where you grew up. There, you had access, I think, maybe to some of these classic old school venues in the '90s that people talk about, right? From Queens and Brooklyn. Yeah. Well, mostly Castle Heights. Uh, Voodoo Lounge, mm-hmm. you know, Crocodile Club Voodoo Lounge, they changed names back and forth, yep. Illusions, I think that was right off Merle Avenue. Unfortunately for me, I missed uh, Hammerheads, you know, February's Hammerheads in Elmont. That was just, that was just breaking down when I was getting into the shows, and that place had so many great shows. You know, a, a lot of, a lot of local, you know, and bigger name bands have went through Hammerheads. You know, like I said, I wish I would have, uh, wish I would have been able, you know, of age, I guess you could say, or into shows at least, because I'm sure I could have gotten in. But um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, man, it's uh, Castle Heights always always going to be the big one for me. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's where I I said like you know where I I kind of like uh, remember seeing you around, and that's where I remember the late '90s for the most part going out there to shows because there wasn't as much on Long Island except for the Crawdaddy shows. But something else you said, you said that you met Brian Wishin from Reputilation in college, right? Yep. So uh, that's that's interesting right there because Reputilation's a band that's kind of getting a little bit of a, 
uh, attention now in the in the reissue um, with you know like kind of phase with the with the younger generation of people that are into slam. I, th- I see a lot of younger slam people actually crediting Reputilation with the guttural vocals and so a lot of the stuff they did, and uh, even people talk about 420. Um, were you around Matt Ferrara and the rest of the band, or? I mean, well, after, you know, after I met uh, Brian, when I started going to shows, then, yeah, you know, I got to know Matt, got to know Joe. I mean, Matt was a great guy. Mm-hmm. Right, you yeah, know, rest it's a shame. Yeah. You know, shame that he's gone, man. Great guy, hell of a guitar player. And, uh, you know, every time, yeah, every time I was show, I would always talk to him. You know, and it's, and uh, Chris also, man. Chris yeah. Matty, you know, another guitar player that was in repudiation. Both of them, it, shame, man. Shame what happened. But great guys. Great guys, hell of guitar players, both of them. Yeah, rest in peace to them. And, I mean, I guess what I'm getting at, too, is the what I, I've talked about them before on the podcast. We did a whole bonus episode of, where I talked about internal bleeding and disfigured and all this stuff that was going on back then. Um, and I see repudiation and disfigured as kind of like the... I don't know what number you want to put on it, but the next generation of Long Island death metal after internal bleeding that was kind of taking those breakdowns and refining them even more past suffocation, pyrexia, and internal bleeding. I see repudiation and disfigured as that. Like, was there a sense at that time that this was blowing up as a style, New York death metal? Well, yeah, because, you know, I mean, well, for, well, for me it was because I was gradually getting introduced to those bands, but... Then yeah, I guess the uh, NYDM, New York Death Metal, I was kind of being almost coined, you know, from all these bands. You know, it's uh, and, and those names always came up, like Sacrifitalation, Disfigured, you know, because I mean, internal bleeding, everybody knew already. Mm-hmm. And then you know, then well, the Humanized already existed, but then you know, you always had heard them mentioned as well. You know, and then you had other bands. That that were fast, you know. Like I think Malamore played a few. Uh, you know, they still were doing some slam parts and this stuff. Uh, then I noticed a lot of Texas bands that were um, starting to do a lot of slam, and then you know, and then it was referred to as, oh yeah, they're playing NYDM or New York death metal style. So like, yeah, I guess you could say, yeah, I guess you're right. You could say Repudiation and Disfigured, though, especially on Long Island, were really, really keeping it going. Yeah, you know, we're in the next generation. They were keeping it going. Yeah, not to, yeah, and not not to put down any of the older bands, but just to say that that was kind of like a new newer generation coming up. And I talked also about how Matt Ferrara went on to join Internal Bleeding at one point and, and all that. Um, you know, yeah. So yeah, rest in peace to those guys. I just wanted to give Repudiation yeah. a little bit of credit to the conversation uh, before we get into your stuff. So now, Cerebral Hemorrhage recorded the first demo in 1999, right? Yes. So take me through you being... All right, well, take me through you starting the band with the research guitar with your friends in the neighborhood to you meeting Brian Wishon, discovering underground death metal, and starting Cerebral Hemorrhage. All right, well, this this happened after I met Brian Wishon and after I started going to shows because mm-hmm. at that point I said, oh, yeah, I'm going to start a death metal band. And I, you know, jammed out with a couple of people but I didn't have that style yet. You know, I wasn't even quick picking at the time. I was still, you know, playing, uh, oh, maybe like Fear Factory type stuff. And then people like, uh, yeah, that's metal, but you really got to, you know, pay more attention because that's not exactly what you're going to call death metal. You know what I mean? So, 
I, you know, I was learning. I was trying to get the hang of it. You know, I was uh, practicing more and more. At one point, I actually was thinking about trying out for Disfigured. You know, just before they got Andy to play guitar with them. And that's when I really started doing the quick picking. And that's when I really started doing the alternating strings and all of that stuff. So that kind of gave me a good kick in the ass for that. So that was actually a good thing. Didn't happen, but still, it brought me along more, you know, more in the path. And this was between 97 and 98, you know, when I first discovered the show. So, I mean, that right away, I was like, all right, I, yeah, I definitely want to get into this. As far as Cerebral goes, in, uh, I would say, mid-98, you know, I saw, I, I saw actually a flyer on the wall in Slip Disc. You know, for Tom, my drummer, he's, he says, drummer looking for a band, blah, blah, blah. So I called him, you know, and then we started jamming, you know, started jamming and it was working. So we just kept going, you know, and uh, I always said, I love all the stuff around here, but I just want to go out of my way to show like other influences too. Mm. Uh, you know, I like, I, you know, I love the slam. We're going to definitely have the slam. But I said, I just, you know, I want to throw other stuff in there because I don't want to totally sound like everybody else of course there's going to be parts that sound like everybody else it's really difficult to not at least for me i don't know i don't know about anybody else but at least to me you're going to have influence and sound similar to somebody at some point but yeah me and tom started jamming and we were taking forever to find a, a vocalist and a and a bassist so i you know at shows all the time i always saw this guy, I don't know who the hell he was, but he just he let out this big yell after every song. Does it have this long, big yell, you know, as an applause? So I'm like, dude, who the hell is this guy? You know, he always made me laugh. So finally, one show, I went over to him, and he was actually in a band called Amid Pain at the time. And then I started talking to him, and I said, yeah, you know, me, me and my friend, you know, we're, we're starting a death metal band, you know, we're getting ready, you know, we're getting ready to, you know, record as soon as we can, but, you know, we first would like to, you know, get a vocalist because I don't want to do the vocals you know I, you know I didn't have the voice for it and plus you know singing and playing at least for me at that time would have been you know real pain in the ass so and he's like oh yeah I'll come down so then with the three of us you know three of us kept jamming and then he found another dude eventually so you know we got six songs together played the Voodoo Lounge at the end of 98 for our first show Eternal Bleeding headlined the show Ton was also on that show I don't know if you remember Ton you know, yeah, great, great band, band. from Ohio. And, yep, very, and they're technical, too. If you watch them play, they're all over the place, too. <clears throat> uh, Disfigured was on the show. I forget if Reputilation was on the show or not. Honestly, I forget. But I think they were. I think they were on the show, but I, it was a while ago. Either that or in Torchment. I don't know if they were in Torchment by that time. Oh, but yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They may have been in torchment by that time because I know it was a quick, uh, you know, at one point I didn't even realize what was going on. I didn't realize they were stopping. And uh, and then, you know, torchment was forming. Well, it was a little, it was all over the place a little bit because then Reputilation broke up and then Bearded Fetus joined up with Brian Wishing and became in torchment and Joe Riley went yep. to Disfigured. That's how yep. I remember it, yeah. Um, and you're talking about uh, the guy yelling at the shows who you asked. That's that's uh, Matt um, Zablowitz, if I said it right, right? Yep. Yeah, Matt Zablowitz. I think that's how you pronounce it. Yep, Matt Zablowitz from Amid Pain. And uh, after Cerebral, he, 
you know, he joined Devitat, which became Dracaris. He's still mm-hmm. going, you know, whenever he can, he works. You know, he works a lot now. The band is all busy, but, you know, he's 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 got a New York metal scene. He's always doing a great job promoting shows, has his own, you know, his uh, every every Tuesday, I believe, you know, he does his interviews on a, on his on a radio show. Mm-hmm. But, yep, that was Matt. You know, everybody, everybody knew who the hell he was because of that yell. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, that's Matt, <laughs> you know. Even though you didn't even have to point out he was there, everyone just everyone knew him automatically. Yeah, and I, I just wanted to uh, give him credit and, and uh, shout him out because, like I like you said, some of our listeners might know him from the local band Dracaris, and a lot of our listeners might really know him from that New York City metal scene uh, site that he maintains and 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 continues to maintain. I mean, it, it, throughout New England and the tri-state area, really, he does a great job promoting shows for a while before the pandemic. He was my go-to once or twice a month. I would just go to his site and mark my calendar, you know? Real big service. Oh, yeah, that, absolutely. Yeah, I, I give him a hell of a lot of credit. He, he, you know, he'll keep up with shows, all different shows, little shows, big shows, mm-hmm. all these little obscure shows as soon as he, and he finds out about them all. You know, he's, he's good. He puts in the effort. He always says, I'm listening to the New York metal scene. You know, yeah, he knows, wants to get, whether he's on the shows or not, you know, we're all these, we all need help. We all got to help each other out. Because you know how it is. That's all we got is live shows, man. You know, we're not going to make any money. So playing live and having fun shows, man, that's all That's all any of us could ever ask for. So he's he's 100% with it, man. He always wants to help out. Does a hell of a job. Yeah, man. And especially a database like this. You know, not everyone is on Facebook or Instagram and, and that sort of thing, man. So it's good to have to get people yep. come out of, the, um, out, of the, out of the creepy corners and come to a metal show. Especially now that they're opening back up. Um, yeah, yeah, we need this, man. We need it to open up, and it's uh, way different than the flyers we used to get in the mail. <laughs> yeah, That's for sure. Yeah, f- yeah, getting flyers in the mail. I remember that one too, man. You sign up for the mailing list. Flyers and zines and all of that stuff. Did you get into tape trading and stuff like that in the late nineties? There, eh, not so often. Not so often. Just uh, every now and then. I was always stubborn. Like I bought it, I want to keep it. You know, <laughs> and with as far well, as far as the band stuff goes, well, yeah, yeah, I traded demos and stuff, but that's yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. I guess it's kind of different. So you get together, you get the band together, and we should also shout out. It was Carlos was the other guitarist, right? Well, later on, yeah. Okay. For for a while, it was just one guitar. Later on, Carlos from Hypoxia, yeah. you know, he he joined the band later on when we. I mean, there were a couple of guitar players. We you know tried out like uh Kirill actually you know played a couple of songs Kirill from Entorchment yeah yeah he played yeah. A, he played a couple of songs in the show for us huh. you know and then when you know he just had other commitments so he couldn't uh couldn't keep it going you know we had uh James from uh, a band called Rat the Humanity it was a you know hardcore band he did a show with us but again prior commitments he just you know couldn't keep it going so we uh and you know Carlos is all about it so when Carlos joined, he says, "Yeah, man, I'm. Let's go, man. We're gonna keep it going." So, you know, that was a that was a big addition to the band because he brought a lot of extra stuff. He brought, he gave us more versatility. He was, you know, he was more of a lead player than I was, so he added a lot of stuff to the band. Great guy too, man. Funny guy, and he's great. He's still going. Hypoxia is great. I love it. Yeah, shout out to him. And well, I, but he didn't record on the demo or this the full length, right? No, that was uh, we were, you know, we all we did all of that beforehand. The bass player on the demo was uh, 
you know, I don't really remember any bands he was in. He was, uh, you know, he he was going to Shelfie. He was old. He was one of the older guys in the scene. I think he fell out of the scene a long time ago. I'm not sure I haven't kept in contact with him. But on the, uh, the uh, I guess you could say the album, it was like seven, eight songs. I forgot how many we did already. But uh, that, it was just three of us. I played the guitar and the bass on that album because we didn't have any, we didn't have a bass player. So just said, whatever, you know, screw it. Let's just go in and record. It's just easier. I'll play all the stuff, you know, since, you know, this, I know I know where I want to change things. I know where I want to harmonize. Much easier that way. Yeah, I, you know, I obviously I, I'm familiar with the album to say the least, um, because I, you know, we were around playing shows together and going to going to each other's you know shows and things like that in the late '90s, early 2000s. Uh, but exempting reality uh, in 2001 on Mutilated Records is the album we're talking about, where you did play all guitars and bass. And something I've always been interested in um, in any kind of metal uh, is is the idea of this streamlined writing and recording process, where one person uh, is responsible for all the guitars and bass and keyboards or whatever, and the writing. Like, do, do you feel like that's um, uh, kind of like the the way you work best? Like, kind of like this mastermind thing, where you just know know how everything's got to sound, and you're you know you're going to do it yourself type of thing. Well, I mean, that's uh, in terms of tightness, I guess you could say, or in terms of how you want everything to sound. Yeah, absolutely. Because you, when you write a riff, you have it in your head how the background should sound, or you have it in your head what the uh, what the harmonizing part should be, or the speed or whatever you know maybe you don't want a quick pick on one guitar maybe you want to play really fast on the other one so because because you you know this you when the uh, parts are you know i guess handed out i guess you could say oh when everyone in the band gets a part everybody always puts their own spin on it mm-hmm. you know that's maybe it's not exactly how you envisioned it but when you do everything yourself it's exactly how you wanted it so it's in terms of that yeah it's just it, you know it's I guess it's easier that way, you know. It's you work the best that way, but sometimes, sometimes it is better to have other influence. But for the most part, yeah, you know, you get everything yeah. exactly. To, you get everything exactly how you want it when you do everything yourself. <laughs> well, that's that's why I say I'm interested because, like, look, I obviously I have tons of albums in my collection that I love that weren't written that way, but. There are. I'm always interested in albums that are written that way, like like exempting reality, the cerebral hemorrhage album from 2001. Also, you know, think about Bathory. Uh, Quarthen famously is kind of known for having that kind of streamlined writing and recording process with you know a few like a session drummer here or something like that. It's not you know it's not unheard of, um, especially in underground metal and cerebral hemorrhage. This is what I want to express to the listeners who aren't familiar is where Cerebral Hemorrhage sits in the pantheon of New York death metal. Everybody knows the bands that we talk about every episode that we all love. Suffocation, Internal Bleeding, Pyrexia. uh, And then we know about Dehumanized, which is associated more with Queens than Long Island. And we talked before in the conversation about how there's that separation between the five boroughs and Long Island. Yep. Um, uh, So Dehumanized... Dehumanized plays a very specific style, very recognizable. Cerebral Hemorrhage, I've always thought, has a recognizable Queen's quality and a, and a New York death metal quality, but you talked about how you want to express other influences. Could you talk about the other influences that crept into Cerebral Hemorrhage besides your more typical regional influences? Yeah, well, um, I can know uh, one or two songs 
there were, I guess you could kind of say like a, a couple of doomy parts, you know, especially uh, on the demo one particular song, uh, Rejoice to the Brutal, I think it was. And then on uh, a song called Resulting in Homicide, which was actually on the demo and we re-recorded it for the uh, for the CD. I wanted to, you know, have a couple of dark parts. Actually, Tom, the drummer, actually had a couple of ideas. He actually contributed to that because him and, and, you know, his brother played guitar. So he had some, you know, he had some uh, knowledge on how to write and that expanded later on. But that's, a, you know, another story. That was more Tomorrow's Victim. But yeah, I wanted to throw the Doomy parts in there. And I, you know, I liked the melody. I wanted to also throw some melody in there. Not that the other bands didn't. Mm-hmm. But I didn't want to just say, okay, let's just slam and blast beat slam because we just want to, you know, we just want to try to get people to just, the whole idea to get people to, you know, to move around in the pit. I said, no, I want to get some melody in there. I want to get some dark, doomy parts in there. And I also want to keep the speed in there, like the regular thrash beat, I guess, you know, the way to describe it. You know, the, the fast, hardcore beat, a thrash beat. A lot of bands, I don't think they were using it that much back then, from what I remember. The speed was mostly blast beats or quick double bass, you know, parts. I was like, no, let's do that old school beat too, man. You know, let's throw that in there because it's not as common these days. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm like, all right, man, that's because you, you got to keep the old, you know, like I said, Metallica, Slayer, you know, those, those are bands that I listened to as a kid. You know, those are like the first bands really in my head when it came to metal. So I'm like, yeah, let's let's just keep doing that. So it's you know the, the uh, you know the melody the, uh, the what the hell is it? <laughs> yeah I mean God, excuse me I forget things mid sentence sometimes <laughs> me, the, me. the melody the doomy parts you know the speed and every now and then you know I said let's throw some off time in there but I think the biggest you know the biggest thing that was kind of out of place I guess was in one of the songs where everything was no distortion there was a you know there was a riff in uh, Remnants of the Final Solution. You know, chords played with no distortion, and the solo was no distortion either. And it was just—it just sounds, I guess, weird for it, I guess, because I don't know—it's kind of trippy, I guess. You know, some people would say, "Yeah, it just well, it's, didn't, it's, didn't sound normal." You know, for that music, and I was like, oh, "That's cool, man." I'll, whether it's good or bad, I'll—I'll I'll take it because anything different is cool, I guess, to me. Well, that, there you go. What you just said, I think, sums it up. Anything different is cool. And that's that's kind of a pioneering attitude throughout death metal, you know, around the world, throughout different scenes. Um, and and I, I would describe it as atmospheric, that particular part you're talking about. It adds a lot of atmosphere to it. And that's, that's all I wanted to get at, was that there was a lot of these influences in cerebral hemorrhage that weren't necessarily um, typical New York influence, but it was in a very... Um, uh, dynamic way because you would go from your breakdowns and even when you listen to Exempting Reality, Tommy's uh, snare work, his the, the, the like yeah. very extremely busy snare work, almost like Brian Wishing and Reputilation, where they were taking it to like I, I almost think of it like how like Timbaland produced beats and like those those yeah. like late '90s Missy Elliott kind of beats where like the snare or or like even reggae like the fast paced dancehall reggae where the the snare was just super busy on the grooves you know. Yeah, I, I can't express it enough how good a drummer Tom is, man. You know, it's you don't realize it till after the fact that you know for so many years, like damn, I was spoiled for so many years. I had played with such a great drummer. He always incorporated, you know. He tried, you know, like jazz fusion and a lot of his beats too. Like you said, it was a simple breakdown beat, but he always 
threw those extra pops in the snare drum, always threw fills in all over the place. Like I said, I can't I can't say enough how how great a drummer Tom is. Yeah, man, shout out to him, man. He's another good guy I've known for a long time, going to shows and things like that. Um, and I just want to, I got to ask you too, though, because another interesting thing to me about Cerebral Hemorrhage was you put out the album 2001 on Mutilated Records, which is a label, I guess, that was partly based out of Argentina. Um, and uh, Colombia. Colombia, okay, I got it. Uh, uh, Colombia. And on their um, uh, roster, you also had Fermento, Internal Suffering, Septical Gorge, um, it, it kind of seemed like just signing with that label, like a very international and very underground label, you were almost breaking with that wave of American brutal death metal that dehumanized and internal bleeding were very much at the forefront of. Did you feel like you were kind of dipping more underground with that? Well, honestly, we were just happy that somebody was putting it out, man. <laughs> Let's just be honest, man. Somebody was putting it out, we're like, oh, good, great, we're thrilled. We could put, we yeah. could put a record label on the on the uh, CD cut, you know, yeah. on, the, on the CD booklet. Well, they actually did because they, you know, we just sent them pictures. They put the artwork together. But, yeah, man. And, and then, like you said, when you saw other bands on the label, like, we were different from them, but the same in some senses. So it's like, yeah, I mean, these bands are, these bands are killer bands. So it is kind of, you know, it, it, it's, you know, very, uh, I don't say an honor because, you know, Whatever they care, whatever. You know what I'm trying to say. It's great. It felt great to be with these bands. Yeah. You know, like it makes you feel like you're, makes you feel like you're even better than you are, I guess you could say, huh. being put on a label with all of those bands. Yeah, well, it's, it's good. It's, it's vindicating in a way when you put in a lot of work um, to, to, yeah. you know, to. Yeah, big time. Big time. Yeah. Get some respect from your, your peers. Um, and, well, you say it's a Colombian label too. That 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 leads me to a question because I've talked on the podcast before about how Internal Suffering, who are known to be from Colombia, had relocated to the New York City area for several years in the early two thousands. Did they have anything to do with you hooking up with that label? Uh, kind of, yeah. Because you know, they I was speaking to Andreas yeah. in the band. Yeah, shout out to Andreas. Andreas and wasn't. Yep. Good guy, man. I remember because, and he actually knew Carlos, mm. you know, because Carlos is from Colombia. So, you know, he, I was speaking to Andreas in the band, and I, I think actually Carlos suggested it. I'm pretty sure at one point, hey, talk to those guys because maybe he had another label. I honestly don't remember the name of the label, but he says, hold on, I'll put you in, in contact with Diego from Mutilated. So, uh, yeah, I guess Andreas was a huge part in that because if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have been pushed towards his label. You know, I'm sure Andres spoke to Diego himself too. So, yeah, Andres did help. I'm, I, they actually, yeah, big time he helped because I wouldn't know who the hell the label was. Huh. I'll be honest with you. That that's interesting, man. Because I, I, we, I was, we were fortunate to have Internal Suffering as like a local band in the early 2000s. I remember them playing tons yep. of shows. Um, yep. You know, Biolich got to open up for them a bunch of time. It was really, and looking back now, like such an interesting international band to have in your backyard. So and and they really were a benefit to the local scene in ways like you're talking about. Yep, brought in a lot of uh, a lot of people that weren't you know normally part of the crowd. Listen, man, death metal is huge in the Latin community. You know, and when you have a band that everybody like, oh wait a minute, yeah, I know these guys, or they you know from South America. Let's go check them out. Maybe that weren't they? Maybe they were into the music, but weren't necessarily going to shows. Great guys, man, came in like wow, they they. they thought oh this, we want to come out now all the time because these guys 
you know, these guys sound great, but this other band sounds great too, this other band, et cetera, et cetera. So they were definitely a huge uh, benefit for everybody here. Plus they brought their own, they brought their own flavor to the table, man. You know, it's, uh, yeah. they yeah. brought their own, their own, you know, they had to slam parts, but they, they brought a lot of speed, a lot of power. Oh, they were, they were like a cyclone live. It was incredible. Yeah. And- oh yeah. You, yeah. took, you took the words out of my mouth, too. There's a huge Latino uh, metal community in New York City and Long Island, especially in Queens and Brooklyn. And yep, big time. Now, being in Queens, you, you know, you were around that community, I think, a little bit more than I was out here in Suffolk Community, Long Island, for the metal scene, and you touched on something there. It seems like there's always a little bit of a separation um, there. It seems like, well, it seems like there's kind of a very insular scene of Latino bands that support one another to the point where sometimes it's separate from the from the more streamlined New York City metal scene. Is that safe to say? At one point, yeah. I mean, right. at one point you had uh, bands like uh, Esclavos. Yeah, you know <laughs> they dude, were you're taking me back. Yeah, and and yeah, yeah not, and, to, uh, not to say there was segregation or anything like that. It was just like there. There's a very insular. Um, family-oriented, almost like community of Latino metalheads in, New- in the New York City metal scene that are going to get together and have shows regardless of what's going on in your more commercial and your yep. more mainstream environments. But everybody does get along and come out and support. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But it's also, it's like anything else. You know, you're always you're always more around the people that you know. Mm-hmm. You're around the people, like you said, you're tight, almost like a family. So may- maybe so much they didn't really know about the other bands because it's like oh we're just gonna go see our friends but it's uh it, 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 sometimes it's like when you went to one of those shows where a lot of bands actually you didn't know about small bands like you said maybe within that community and then you know you mix one or two bands and then all of a sudden there's mutual respect and all of a sudden it's like hey wait a minute we could all hang out together there's no reason i mean nobody ever had a problem with anybody yeah but it's Hey, now we know each other. Now, oh, your band is cool. No, your band is cool. We hey, listen, we could put on some great shows together. It's like when I first saw Sklavos, I'm like, oh, these guys have a huge freaking following here. Mm-hmm. You know, we played a show, Cerebral, we opened the show right before them, and we said, hey, opening is good. We're playing right before those guys because we're going to have a huge crowd, which we did because all of those dudes were there waiting for their band, and they got to check us out. So that was a benefit for us too, man, because... It's like, you know, we got a bunch of new fans right there. Yeah, man. And I, I definitely feel like Internal Suffering was instrumental in bringing um, some, of those, some of those different elements of the metal scene together in the early 2000s. Yep. I, I, like, I kind of, yep, you know, absolutely. Hadn't, hadn't thought about it like that until you said it, man. I, I think a lot about um, what was that venue in Woodmere that had a bowling alley attached to it that was having shows. I was just thinking about that. I was just thinking about it. I think it was called the backstage. Yeah. Yeah. They had internal suffering played a lot of good shows there. And I think just geographically it was perfect to bring Long Island and Queens together. I think actually malignancy played there too. And mortician. Yeah, I believe you're right. And, uh, I, I remember seeing Lord Gore there of all bands. Yeah. A lot really? of yeah, Biolich definitely played. I, be, I believe Biolich played there with Lord Gore once. But yeah, man, wow, reminiscent, man. Um, yeah, actually, I yeah, I definitely remember you over there playing a the show. Yeah, I, I'm I'm sure I, I was, definitely remember you playing a show. It was Biolich. I'm sure I was wearing something cute. Um, 
Well, you, I remember you used to wear the army pants all the time, I think, when you played. I wore anything that fit in the late 90s and early 2000s. <laughs> the, the, these times nowadays are a lot more friendly to, to the big guys in terms of metal shirts and basketball hey, listen, shirts. As you remember, you know, before a certain point where I just decided to drop pounds, I just got heavier and heavier as, <laughs> as my bed, you know, as the years went by. So, yeah, a lot of my clothes weren't as friendly either. So I had to, you know, I had to rotate between a few specific things and yeah. make sure they were clean for the next show, man. I, I know the struggle, you know, man. All, yep. All of the necks were stretched out in all my shirts, man. And all the <laughs> jeans, they were like, you know, the buttons were hanging off at the alike, man, you know? <laughs> yeah, man. The, the stretched out necks. Um, well, listen, man, you're talking about getting heavier and heavier through the years. I feel like that's an excellent segue because we talked a lot about cerebral hemorrhage. I feel like I could get stuck in nostalgia all day uh, reminiscing, but we got, I want to get through talking about tomorrow's victim and, of course, bring up your new project, Coronary Thrombosis. So could you just tell us quickly, cool. like, how do you tra- what's the transition? Why is cerebral hemorrhage, um, uh, uh, you know, going to be going to be shelved? And, and is tomorrow's victim the new incarnation of it or just a new band entirely at that point in 2002? Well, tomorrow's victim, it was uh, basically, I don't know, we just wanted to go in a different direction, really. It was more straightforward, I think you could say. I mean, there was still some melodic parts, but it was more straightforward, a lot of the songs that were written and. It's, uh, you know, we just wanted to do a different style, you know, me and Tom. And then we got Beach, you know, we got Beach to do the vocals, you know, Beach is, old, you know, now the singer, you know, Beach and Pyrexia. Of course, yeah. You know, who you uh, have the pleasure of, you know, helping out from time to time also. I fell in for Beach, and, yeah, um, man. Shout out to Beach. Yep. So it's, uh, that was actually, I mean, he did the guest spots and other things before, but he was never really in a band. So we just said, dude, come on. He was actually at that time in the side band with Tom, the drummer. Tom actually played guitar in that side band, and they had another drummer. And then I'm like, dude, why don't we just get Beach? Beach sounds good, man. You know, so first Tom was like, oh, buddy, you know, we don't want him to be in two serious bands. But then, then he's like, all right, let's go, man. Let's go. It'll sound good. So me and the bass player, we had Justin. You know, so it was three of us, me, Tom, and Justin, because Justin was the last bass player for uh, Cerebral. I mean, before our reunion show, you know, one off in 2011, Justin was the last, you know, active bass player, you know, in that lineup. So at first he says, yeah, I'll come and, you know, we'll, we'll jam out. And uh, Tom decided to name Tomorrow's Victim because, you know, my mind drew a blank. I smoked a lot of weed back then. I don't know what the <laughs> hell, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to think about anything. I'm like, I thought about music. That was enough. But, uh, you know, Matt went on his own way. Matt actually wanted to, you know, keep Cerebral Hemorrhage going, but... I never, you know, that fell through. So he just, you know, you know, just went about did his own thing for a little while. But yeah, basically, we just wanted to change styles. So it was, uh, you know, before the first show, before the first show even started, though, Justin he had other commitments, so he had to leave. And we had, and we had this dude Chris play bass, who actually was filling in for deceased for a while. Hmm. So you know, it was pretty cool. And uh, yeah, it was more. We actually played cerebral songs at first while we were, you know, getting new stuff written because we said, yeah, we want to play shows right away. Let's just play what we know for now. So you know, it's uh, when Beach started going. I mean, Matt has, you know, Matt's great. Beach has had a different style. You know, Beach has more of the uh, Beach has a deeper style. You know, you know, you can say that Beach will 
it's not gore, but he's closer to gore. Like you, you have a gore style. Huh. Beach is closer to that than Matt. Yeah, he's he's more you guttural. Yeah. More guttural. Matt's more. Yeah, guttural. exactly. That's yeah. that's the word I'm looking for. More. He's more guttural. Mm-hmm. But you know, Matt has that sick yell. But again, it was a different style. So we just wanted to do some, you know, different. You know, different. We felt like uh, with Cerebral, I don't know. It was like, hey, we peaked when we played that show at Immolation, and then next home. So, huh. like, you know, we didn't we didn't know what the hell else to do after that. I mean, obviously, there was a lot more out there, but you know, none of us had money to go touring, man. <laughs> none of us, you know, we were you know, we were still kids, man. Still in our early twenties, we didn't have any money for that shit. I mean, Matt was a little older, but but you know, none of us had money, so. It's, uh, I got you know, we were catering more towards a combination of, you know, death metal shows, but more, you know, also new school hardcore shows. We probably jumped on a lot of those shows, too. And it fit because, same, you know, beat down, you know, deep vocals. Some, you know, the vocals didn't always match up because, you, know, you know, the hardcore bands have, you know, more of a yell, you know, like a, you know, more of aggressive, like a irate. Like Phil Irate, you know? Yeah. Very, you know, very heavy, but a lot more throaty. You know what I'm saying? But still, it doesn't matter. It all fit. Well, so we were, you know, really ge- gearing towards all of that, more of that at that point. In a way, I think Tomorrow's Victim was a little ahead of uh, its time at that point because now a lot of these beatdown bands have straight-up death metal vocals. You know? So it's... Oh, well, depends how you look at it. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, man. And, and with Tomorrow's Victim, I just wanted to point out... You know, you did the um, a, a Darker Day, Now Dawn's three-song demo, which was picked up yes. and put out as a split release as well, right? Yeah, split, split release. I think it was Deuce, Mortus Productions. Yeah. It was Us, um, Molded Flesh, and uh, there was a third band. I forget the third band. They did a, they did a couple of, uh, they had like very short style songs. You know, like, you know, two minutes, so one minute, two minute songs. I, you know, sorry to say, I don't remember the name of the band. Um, but Molded Flesh was, uh, perverse. was uh, you know, the other. Perverse. I'm sorry, go ahead. Perverse was the band. Perverse. Yeah, I'm, okay. on, I'm on the internet. Don't worry. It's not my memory. Um, <laughs> and, well, because what I'm getting at, too, is you put out that. And then were you on the 04 album, Thousand Gospels of Hate? Yes. Yeah, that was the last thing I did with them. Actually, no, no, correction, no, I did, we did a three-song, three-song uh, recording after that, but, yeah, that was, that, that album was me. Okay, and that, that's, that's kind of, you can look it up on YouTube, but, um, has there ever been any talk about repressing it or anything? Uh, not to my knowledge, because they, after I left the band, they, again, became a different band. Mm-hmm. They, they went to a different style, which, uh, Danny fits perfect with the style that, that they wanted to move towards. And plus, you know, I, I wasn't into playing really anymore because, you know, I lost my job. My head wasn't right. I, I'm like, I have to look for another job. I'm, I'm not into this. So I told him, I said, I don't want to bring down the mood anymore. You know, you guys want to be here. I don't. So good luck, man. At that point, they had Al playing guitar anyway. So yeah, I'll be here. Yeah. Gospels was really the last, you know, the only real CD I did with them as far as uh, lengthwise because the other two things were EPs. Yeah, well, I, I just wanted to bring that up, and I wanted to just say, you know, just, just for the listeners, too, if anyone's listening, uh, in this age where everyone's reissuing everything on cassette and vinyl and CD and 
Uh, you know, here's the discography with a couple of rehearsal tracks at the end and all that sort of stuff. Somebody's got to look up Cerebral Hemorrhage, uh, and especially that um, Tomorrow's Victim album, Thousand Gospels of Hate, and put that out for a proper reissue. Um, so, so they should get in touch with you, I think, after after this, and you guys can hash it out, man. I just want to throw that plug in there. Um, yeah, cool, man. Quickly. That's definitely appreciated, man. But, uh, but you know, now that I remember, I don't even think the album was actually officially released. I think we were just saying, here, here, check it out, check it out. Yeah, I don't actually remember releasing the album, I'll be honest with you. It's it's definitely on, you can look it up on YouTube. There's a few links on YouTube to check it out. Um, oh, yeah, we, we definitely got the songs out there. Yeah. We definitely did. But as far as I remember, I never saw a CD booklet cover, all of that. I never, you know, saw, uh, I mean, we burned CDs and handed them to people. Yeah. But it was more, I don't think we ever actually sold it. I think we just said, all right, you know, we put it out, we we did it, you know, amongst all confusion, you know, because there, there was a lot of red tape that we had to get through, you know, like, so we had to get money together, because, you know, you, you finish recording, but obviously you're not going to get the final print until you, you pay for it. So there was a lot of confusion, a lot of everything, so we, you know, we pay, we wound up paying for it, but I forget exactly why we never released it, but it was, I don't know, it was just some weird stuff going on, I guess. So we just were like, all right, whatever, we'll get it out to people. But I don't remember actually selling it, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> well, I just wanted to shout that out because there's a lot of interest now in um, you know the, the old school of New York death metal and uh, some of the bands that people might not be as familiar with and stuff like that. And this is all worthy stuff for our listeners to, to check out. And that brings yeah, me... Some... No, go ahead. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I, mean, I didn't mean to cut you off, man. I was going to say, for some reason, the Cerebral Heimer CD it's been coming up lately i'm like damn what like where were you guys 20 years ago man <laughs> he's talking about it now they broke yeah. up so long ago but it, it's overseas i guess some people yeah and, uh, some yeah. people here they were messaging me on instagram i guess because they they put the name together you know because maddie death on instagram i guess they put two and two together and they were showing me pictures like hey is this a bootleg cd i'm looking at it i'm like no nah, man i don't think it's a bootleg but I don't remember a CD looking like this with the band logo on it. <laughs> I mean, the, the old CD that we had was just straight print. Uh-oh. I'm like, wait a minute. So where the hell did you get that? And they said, it's on Discogs. And I said, does the same mutilated records on it? And they said, yeah. I'm like, well, I guess they repressed the CDs. And, you know, when, you know after the fact, I mean, they, they put out stuff that we didn't even know about. Mm. I mean, but, you know, we didn't have any contract. We were just thrilled to death, you know, to get it, to get it put out. Yeah, so they just yeah. said, "Hey, you, we'll give you 150 copies." We're like, "Great, done," you know. But if, you know, I come to find out that they had uh, cassettes. Someone asked me about the cassette. I'm like, "What do you mean? What the hell are you talking about cassette? We had a four song demo cassette." <laughs> they said, "No, we saw a cassette for Exempt to Reality." I said, "That's news to me." Oh boy! And they said, "This is in the you know they saw the old shirts that we have." They're like, "Oh, I have another shirt." I'm like, "Where the hell did you get another shirt, man? We didn't make it. We didn't make any extra shirts." Yo, the and these posters. I'm like, "Where the hell did you get this poster?" But I'm like, hey, you know what, whatever, at the very least, you know, at the very least, I'm like, all right, well, people know who we are. The the bootlegging you know, is real. The bootlegging is real out there, man. You would be surprised. Oh, yeah. And it's Big time. But I, I don't think this is actually a bootleg. I think this is actually just a second batch that they printed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I'm that, like, all right, whatever, man, you know, and this, this hasn't been brought to my attention until years later. I'm like, yeah, where was this stuff back then? 
Well, like I wish I would have seen this back then. <laughs> where where was all this twenty years ago? Is a is a common sentiment uh, for for a lot of death metal people nowadays, man. Because there's this new resurgence, and it makes sense because a lot of people. Uh, you know, like I said, people love suffocation, internal bleeding, pyrexia, dehumanized. People are going to start looking at the bands that those guys put in their thanks list and the bands that those guys yep. that, that used to open up for those guys. You know, it's shit like that. You know, it's it's just natural. Just the same way people are exploring, like, the, the old Swedish bands and the Finnish bands and getting into the nitty-gritty. They're going to do that with New York, too. So it makes sense, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty cool, man. You know, it's it's. I always say, man, it's nice to be remembered, man, years later. It is nice to be remembered years later, man. And it's nice to get emails from other people like all over the world. We did. You know, we did. Let's be, you know, be real. You Maybe not rock stars, but you are known in a lot of different countries. You get recognition from the death metal community. I mean, it it was funny. You used to get emails like, you brutal, play good, you know, whatever. I'm like, like, all right, man, you know what? You laugh a little bit, but, you know, it's, you know, that's. How, how how much people speak English, you know? But I said, you know what? That's fucking. But that, you know, that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Okay, as men say say what they want, they can speak as much broken English as they want because they're giving compliments, man. Yeah. I think how stupid I would sound if I tried to speak. You know, if I tried to speak any, you know, wherever country it was from, like Indonesia. If I tried to speak that language, I'd sound, you know, what do I sound like a first grader learning how to speak or learning how to read? Well, me too. That's, you know, what, that, so that, that's what I always say is I only know one language, so. It's a digital yeah. thumbs up. It goes a long way. Yeah. Um, yep, there you go, man. There you go. Just thumbs up and universal universal word. So, you know, I wanted to, to, to get into that and to, to plug those, those older recordings. You talked about how you kind of had to step back. Uh, you had to think about your career and that sort of thing because the next thing that I know about that you participate in is this most recent coronary thrombosis two-song demo you just put out. Is that correct? As far as uh, death metal, yeah. Recorded output? I mean, yeah, what, like, like, was there any other music going on besides the death metal scene during those years? Well, I mean, I did a couple of uh, self-recording things at home. I just, for the hell of it, you know, I recorded a few songs and just said, here, check it out, I still play. You know, handed them out. You know, nothing, it wasn't meant to be any you know, like anything on stage. Uh, the last show with Tomorrow's Victim was actually the Suffocation Long Island Hall of Fame show. And at that point, I was just filling in. So after that, I was like, hey, good. I went out with a good show like that. Yeah. But one of the band, one band I played live with after that was actually like a rock band, like a rock experimental metal band called One Way to Eden. I was playing bass in that band. So, I mean, at first it was kind of weird. You know, not playing bass, but it was kind of weird. Like, oh, this is a different style. I'm used to being on stage, just going as fast as I can, you know, trying to be as heavy, you know, as heavy as I can now. Like, actually, the guy that told me guitar was a guitar player in that band. Like, now I'm just trying to keep up. I mean, it was actually tougher because, you know, keeping up with the guy who taught you is a big challenge. But it was actually fun, man. It was actually pretty fun. You actually taught guitar yourself uh, in, in some uh, aspect, right? Uh, no, I wasn't so much of a teacher. I mean, I've given tips. I've given strategies and everything. I've told people, you know, all the people I would just learn how to play. You know, I actually just passed along what my teacher taught me. You know, and I told him, I said, yeah, this is good. I said, but in addition to this exercise, I do that. In addition to this, I try to do that. 
you know, so I, I did kind of give pointers and all of that stuff, but I was never really a teacher. Okay. All right. Um, so what I, what I want to get into now, because this is like, kind of like the big point here is your current band coronary thrombosis, um, based out of Queens and Long Island. If I got that correct, uh, let take take me through that because I know it didn't just happen overnight, right? No, nah, it took a little while. It was kind of a kind of a mess at first. Mm-hmm. It was uh, basically the way I met Bill, the drummer. You know, is uh, well, I used to work uh, shift work, and sometimes on you know when you get out at eleven at night, I'm like I'm stopping for a beer on the way home. I don't care how dirty I am, you know, whatever. And uh, he always used to be at this bar in Valley Stream, so. The nail? You know, I go in there. I hear, the rail? Yeah, Bill. No, the, oh, no, no, not the rail. It okay. was uh, called Kerryman's Corner. Okay, just had to ask. Just, right. Yeah, no, you know, we spent a lot of time at the rail, though. That's uh, <laughs> that's that's definite, but I didn't meet him there. I met him at Kerryman's Corner. And, uh, you know, there, there was whatever music playing. I forget what the hell it was, but it wasn't anything remotely good. It was some radio <laughs> crap. And I said, damn, I want to hear some freaking Slayer or something, man, you know? And he's like, "Yeah, I want to hear it too." I said, "Oh, that's cool, man. You're into that stuff." And then we started. We started talking. Then I did recognize him. I never knew him, but I recognized him from shows back in the day because he played in a band called Twelve Gauge, and he also plays. He still does. They kind of brought it back. Adversary. So I'm like, because he had those dreads in his hair back then, or he had the braids. So I'm like, yeah, I remember this dude. So we just started talking about that, and I I always saw him across the street from where I worked. And then finally, one day, I'm just like, dude, you know what, man? You know, we're talking about all this. I mean, this was actually with, you know, over the course of a couple of years. Then I'm like, you know what? Screw this, man. You know, I'm seeing my old band play up there and I'm getting motivated. Why don't we just start doing something? And he goes, yeah, hell yeah, I want to play again. So so we, we were talking about it for a year and a half. You know, this is over the course of uh, five years, I think, before we actually started consistently playing. So... We jammed once, jammed twice, and I'm like, oh, dude, I don't feel like I have it, man. You know, and plus, I work shift work. It's tough, man, because I always work different hours. So, but he, he was always, you know, because he's gung-ho, man. He's really, really gung-ho about playing. So, you know, he always, always texts me. He's like, dude, let's go. Let's go, man. Yeah. Come on. Don't slack. We, we could do something here. So, finally, my hours changed, and I had a steady schedule, you know, at work. So, I'm like, all right, good. I could plan stuff now. That was like two years ago. So after, you know, only a handful of practices, you know, we made uh, every day, you know, every week, one or two days, you know, one or two days a week. And we're like, all right, you know, screw this, man. Let's get going. Let's get to work. So it was just us two for a while, actually. Just us two. You know, we were going, it's, I'm like, oh, man, this is what I don't miss. I don't miss going out looking for a bass player. I don't miss going out looking for a vocalist, you know, possibly a second guitarist. And then it was just uh, playing like little parties in his basement. You know, because he converted his basement to a little, it looked like a, it looked like a little, you know, small version of a venue. We had a couple of bands down there play, and you know, we just told people, hey, get up and start, you know, screaming vocals. And one dude's like, oh, you know what? I want to keep doing this. So <laughs> that's how we had our first vocalist. Um, he he never made it to a show with us, though. He you know he was with us for a few months, and then you know we kind of had a falling out, and you know nothing crazy, but it was. You know, it was just mutual that, you know, we wouldn't jam together anymore. He's got a black metal band. I forget which band it is. He sings and plays guitar. But then Jordan, that's our vocalist now. He was an AIDS cannon, one-ounce slug. 
he uh he was down there you know at the time we played that party and he goes no dude he's like you guys ever need a fill-in I'll, I'll fill in for you so we're like all right that's cool man that's you know that works so um we actually had about five i think songs written by the time we had a full band and uh, i was at black dawn talking to john you know john the doorman everyone knows john from mm -hmm. castle heights mm -hmm. and uh, i told him i said yeah dude i'm throwing my hat back in the ring me and bill and he's like oh yeah i remember bill said we got a band going again man and he says he says wait a minute man he says come here for a minute it's like we got immolation playing with blood incantation in september and this was in june he was telling me it's like talk to kevin if you get you get your stuff together get on that show so i'm like oh hell yeah man i asked bill he was down for it i asked jordan you know, we both we both talked to Jordan. Jordan says, "Yeah, absolutely." And uh, we're like, "All right, now we got to get a bass player." And Matt Haas, that's uh, yeah, I think he was in. You know, Matt Haas, right? Well, yeah, we actually just recently had Mike Zancelli of Dimension on on this program, and yes. Matt Haas plays drums on the new Dimension on. Yes, Matt yeah. Haas plays drums. He's he was in another band too. I don't know if it was Spectral Voices or I don't know if it was. Uh, you know, yeah, I know yeah, Aaron's with, uh, in both of those yeah, bands. Yeah, with Aaron, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Matt Matt was in a few of those local bands. Uh, the young, the younger guys had a, had a lot of bands going. Yep, and so he's, you know, he's a drummer, but he says, you know what, I would love to play a, a show with Immolation and I could play some bass. So we're like, yeah, man, dude, come come uh, yeah. jam out with us. So a few months we played, we tried to get as tight as we can. We jumped on that show with Immolation and... Yeah, the first show we, you know, I would go back and watch it. Uh, this, you know, I could laugh at some of the stuff now because we were, you know, we were kind of all over the place a little bit, but it was enough to get up, you know, it was enough to tell people, okay, we're back now, we're get, we're getting ready to play. So, yeah, I mean, you know, me, me, Bill, and Jordan have been the constants. We've, you know, bass players have been kind of a, of a revolving door, if I can say that correctly. You know, mostly due to other commitments, we had fill-ins. Because a lot of people are committed to a lot of other things, but tell me about it's, it. Uh, again, it's it's as far as the music goes. I said, all right, I, you know what? I kind of want to go back to the cerebral style a little bit. You know, trying to make things a little bit more complex, not overly complex, but I want to try to do that. Keep the slam because you're going to need the slam still anyway. You know, because that's everybody. You know, more so on Long Island, actually, I should say. Most on Long Island, people are going to eat up the slam. I noticed the last bunch of times in Queens, Brooklyn death metal shows, it's not as crazy with the slams like it used to be. You know, it, more people are, you know, shoulder blocking again. But well, regardless, man, it's still it's still fun, man. Energy in the crowd. You know this, man. Energy in the crowd is energy in the crowd. Yeah. But, well, it seems like nowadays uh, it's a lot more with, like, guttural vocals and blasting and, and uh, kids yeah. are caught on to that element of it. And that's what I want to talk yep. about with coronary thrombosis is the sound. And I say this with all due respect. I say this with admiration. It kind of reminds me of a combination of cop premises and dehumanized almost to, to name two other classic Queens bands. Because hmm. it's got those guttural blasting parts. And then it's got the dynamics to have the, the slams and the well-executed kind of like there is a guitar solo in the second song, you know. Yeah, that was actually done by Brandon. Okay. Yeah, that All was right. actually that was actually done by Brandon. That's uh, he came into the band not long before we recorded. Yeah, so, I think I met him at the show the other day. Yeah, good. Good. He's uh, he's in a couple of local bands now. Also, 
and yeah, I'm sorry, Brandon, if you're listening, I forget the name of the band <laughs> offhand, man. But well, uh, well, but isn't it coronary thrombosis playing a couple of shows coming up? Oh yeah, we got a bunch of shows coming up, man. We got um, this Saturday actually we're playing out uh, in Holbrook tailgaters. We're playing with Mortifera, which has Brian Hobby playing bass in the band. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've been around music, you know, in Long Island, New York, Queens, whatever, you know Brian Hobby. You know, and uh, you know, years of internal bleeding and uh, catastrophic for those who don't remember briefly in Pyrexia too. And uh, actually, a Slayer cover band, Show No Mercies, actually playing. And that band actually it has Leo from Immortal Suffering playing guitar. All right, man. Cool. So that's the Long Island. Next month, we're actually going to uh, Delaware and Pennsylvania, you know, one weekend. You know, having a couple of shows over there. But uh, we're playing August 15th at Mr. Beery's and Bethpage. I'm not exactly sure who else is on that show. Jordan told me, you know, I got to get the details from him again. But it's, uh, I mean, we'll test the waters with that place. They've been having a couple of shows lately. So... Yeah, they had some great shows. Yeah, was, yeah. They, yeah, no, yeah, they've been, you know, they had a. Well, didn't didn't you play? You didn't you play there a couple of weeks ago? Yeah, Afterbirth uh, played there like three weeks ago, and Splattered Entrails was just there over this past weekend. Um, yep, so Mr. another Be- great band. Mr. Beery's kind of being like the the uh, the initiator of the death metal scene coming back uh, in, in Nassau County. That's great. It's great to hear, man. So August fifteenth at Mr. Beery's. Uh, this coming Saturday, I, th- I think the episode will probably be out after uh, the Tailgaters show. And then in Pennsylvania and Delaware, people can watch for you. What? Um, where can people check for coronary thrombosis on social media? Well, social media, we have a Facebook page. Just uh, You type in coronary thrombosis or coronary, coronary thrombosis band. You know, I have an Instagram going for coronary thrombosis. And uh, the YouTube, all you gotta do is type in coronary thrombosis demo. You know, it's on YouTube. It's also, um, you know, on stuff like iTunes, uh, Apple Music, Spotify. Uh, you know, Hard Knock Records put it out for us, so that's pretty cool. Okay. But yeah, most most of the time we're active on Facebook. All right, you so know, be- it's like the rest of the world, I guess. Yeah, no, just people can check for that if they want to hear the, the, the new two song demo. If they're interested, and um, uh, look for those shows you got coming up. One last question, uh, Matt, before I let you get off the horn. I got to ask, because you, you had cerebral hemorrhage back in the day. You're in coronary thrombosis now. Uh, you don't pick typical band names for our, our region and our area. Um, could you just give us maybe a little insight into, into the rhyme or reason behind your kind of pathological, hard-to-pronounce band names that you, that you seem to like? <laughs> well, cerebral, that was... Uh... That was actually originally just a song. Mm-hmm. You know, we were going to have a band name back then. It was uh, going to be called Putrescence, which I don't, you know, Tom came up with that name, you know, and uh, I was like, all right, whatever, man, it sounds different, sounds, you know, whatever, fine. But but Matt, uh, Matt the vocalist, and Jason, who was playing bass, says, no, you know what, Cerebral Hemorrhage sounds pretty cool. You know, and Matt's like, yeah, you know, Cerebral Hemorrhage, I put that on, on my jacket, you know. <laughs> it you know it does it sounds like a you know kind of sounds like not a bad name and then Tom agreed so we just switched over to cerebral hemorrhage man I mean there was no real rhyme or reason to pick it it's just it just started as a song title as far as coronary thrombosis that was old Bill he actually had a band called coronary thrombosis back in before before I was even in cerebral hemorrhage and he 
copyrolled that name back then, he said. But he never got anything off the ground with it. So when we started playing, he's like, no, I want to bring that back because I never got a chance all those years ago to do something with it. So I want to do it now. I'm like, all right, whatever, man. Because at first, I was like, oh, man, I don't know. Because I was already in a band, Cerebral Hemorrhage. You know, it's like Cerebral Hemorrhage, Coronary Thrombosis. You know, people are going to look at me like, dude, what the hell are you doing, man? It's like, what do you have no, you don't have any, uh, you know, range in, you know, in picking your names. But well, I was I- like, oh, whatever, man. From, from an outsider perspective, someone who's been a fan of your music, it's funny to me that it's totally coincidental uh, because I thought, you know, it just reminds me more of like Carcass and Lymphatic Phlegm than, say, Internal yeah. Bleeding and, and Irate. You know what I mean? And it's kind of a cool twist yeah. uh, on it with the pathological thing. And not, not, to, not to say it's, uh, you know, the band names are bad, but I just, I just wanted to get into that. So it turns out it is just a total coincidence. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't... Uh Actually, I had nothing to do with picking either name. I'll be honest okay. with you. I just happened to be in the bands. So <laughs> it's a, funny, man. I guess if you want to say credit, credit goes to those other guys. They're the ones that actually thought about it. I'm just along for the ride in terms of the band name. All right, man. Well, we appreciate uh, you coming along for the ride for this interview, man. And get, I was really great reminiscing on the New York scene and getting all that insight into your older bands and talking about coronary thrombosis. I want to encourage yeah, man, the, the great, listeners... Man. Yeah, I would. I would just yeah, hey, listen, man, you got to give yourself shout-outs, man. All the bands you've been in, I, well, you've done a lot. That's that's like the underlying point of this show is that I'm the star oh. and it's all about me. <laughs> yeah, Matt, he gets way too much time to do that. So constantly, yeah, because well, you got to go all the way from Cursed Earth to Mileage, then you had uh, Buckshot Facelift, you know, Afterbirth, Artificial Brain. You know, you got to keep it going, man. Uh, well, trust those me, are all my favorite bands. As, <laughs> he's, pay, he's paid to say that. Uh, brought to you by Heavy Hole. As long as I could lift a microphone to my face and uh, make a noise, I'll be doing it, man. And um, and I hope to see you there uh, with with uh, coronary thrombosis or some other project when we're old men, uh, barely able to do it. Uh, we're almost there, actually. I'm already I'm already <laughs> old, man. I'm, I'm in my 40s, bro. Yeah. I'll be 43 this year, man. I'm already old. i got to retire next year from work, go to the, the old folks home or something. Hey, U- Udo Dirksnyer is still doing it, man. He's out there. Um, uh, wow. But Matt, well, we- well, just real quick, man. A big show we got coming up in New York is uh, back from the Dead Fest on September 25th. You got about seven bands, eight bands on it. Malignancy and Immortal Suffering are on it, as well as Sick Bay. So that should be something you know people should check out because those other bands are great bands. Where is that? I saw. I saw his- That's at the Kings Lane in Brooklyn. Yeah, I saw. Okay, I saw an ad for that. Okay, awesome. September 25th, right? Yes. Okay, we're going to be on the lookout for that, man. And, um, Matt, I always conclude the interview by asking the guests to recommend one older album and one newer album for the listeners by any artist you like. doesn't have to be metal, could be metal, anything you want to recommend. One older album. You know what? As far as uh, other styles, many people don't think it, but after Ozzy, Black Sabbath had a lot of good stuff. Mm. I think one of the best albums of theirs was when it was really just Tony Iommi, but he called it Black Sabbath just for contractual reasons. Seventh Star with Glenn Hughes on vocals. I think that's a, actually a great album. You know, that's one of the best ones, I think, post-Ozzy. Okay. You know, that's... Uh, I've always been fascinated by the post-Ozzy Black Sabbath uh, career. That's so, the- no, it's a different band. It's a way different band. They changed, as they changed vocalists, they changed styles, which was smart. Can't shove the same sound on anybody's throat with a different vocalist. It just doesn't work. That's 
interesting. All right. And and what about a newer album or a newer demo? A newer album? Uh, I actually... There's a band called Beyond Creation. Oh, yeah. I think they're a Canadian band. Yeah. yeah they, uh, what's the name of the band? I think Aura. I mean, the name of the album. Aura. The Aura. I mean, there's a song on it. There's actually a, vid- a video on YouTube. Omnipresent Perception. That's just... I don't know, man. Just they put everything together so so perfect. You know those guys. You know they got they got some speed. They got a lot of melody. They got some slam parts. And that bass player is ridiculous. And the drummer on that, they're all they're all great. The, the bass player and the drummer are ridiculous on that album. So I mean, I would check that out, man. Yeah, that bass player's on a lot of stuff. Uh, Forest, I think he goes by. He's on uh, First yeah, Forest Fragment. Yeah, yeah, that guy's fantastic. All right, man. But, wow. That, yep. Good stuff. Good beyond, stuff, man. Beyond creation. All right, Too man. many old school death metal albums to name. Can't do that. Tell, uh, tell me about We were just talking before, man. Tell me about it. Um, all right. Well, Matty Death, man. It was a pleasure to have you on the show today uh, and go to a trip down memory well, thanks lane. Thanks for having me, bro. Yeah, of course, man. And uh, and then <clears throat> end up uh, where we are now, where you have a wealth of shows coming up, uh, a new two-song demo by Coronary Thrombosis that our listeners can go check out on YouTube. Um, and like we said, they can go back and check out the classic material by Cerebral Hemorrhage and Tomorrow's Victim on YouTube or wherever else you can find it nowadays. Um, yep. So Matt, they're all on, yep, all on YouTube. Yeah, thank thank God for the internet, man. Um, yeah, absolutely, man. So, Maddie, any uh, parting words for fans of your music and listeners of our show? Yeah, man, music music scene is coming back. Shows are starting again. It ain't dead, man. We're just gonna keep it going. Mm. Keep coming to shows. Keep showing support. You know, love you guys, man. We'll see you there. Hell yeah, uh, love you, Maddie, man. Thanks for coming on the show, man. We'll be we'll be in touch. Thanks, dude. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, thanks a lot to Maddie Death, tonight's guest of Coronary Thrombosis, and as we discussed formerly of Tomorrow's Victim and Cerebral Hemorrhage music that you can go back and check out. Sick. Um, I think there's been so much attention, as I said in the interview, paid to uh, the, the, the legacy of Long Island and New York City scene death metal. Uh, and that legacy did extend through the late 90s and 2000s. This is just another place people can turn to check out some of those uh, uh, stones they haven't overturned yet, man. Mm-hmm. So big big thanks to Maddie Death, and good luck to Coronary Thrombosis on those upcoming shows. Hell yeah, and the hard geographic truth to everybody living in Queens and Brooklyn. Man. You're on an island, people. Yeah, yes. whether you like it or not. You're when you're on, on an island, longest. you should band together with the other people. You're on the longest one, brother. Yeah. Good thing you're not on Lost, all right? <laughs> Listen, I, I do look like a polar bear in my shirt off. That's another story. Yep. Um, we're not on Lost tonight, though. We're on the Heavy Hole podcast. Uh, if you enjoyed tonight's program, if you if you didn't enjoy it, if, you, if you're saying Maddie Death should have been on Joe Rogan, why is he on Big Will's show? Uh, I don't care. Call up the voicemail. Let us know what you're thinking. Complain about something. Mm-hmm. Vent about something. Recommend something. I like the vents. Uh, we've got a, free, uh, a few really nice vents recently. Yeah. Keep those coming. Get angry. Yeah. yeah, get pissed. What's that number again? Does any does anyone know? 
It's 631-837-3274. Oh, that's a nice number. You could call that up and talk, talk it out, hash it out. If you really want to get to the bottom of my heart, you got to give us money on Patreon, and we'll give you that extra content. Go to heavyholepodcast.com. All the links are there. That's right. Follow us on the social media. You could go on Patreon and drop a couple of bucks and listen right. to some extra stuff. Yeah. Uh, there's there's the Instagram. You can see Justin's nice, beautiful art. Mm. There's a link for the shop, and there's T-shirts. Are there still T-shirts and patches? Ooh, there sure are, buddy. Yeah. Oh, that's man. Right. That, that, that sounded like you, you're ready for an order. You're just like... I'm ready for it. I don't want to like, hold on to these anymore. I want to give it to you. Yeah. There's I, nothing better than sweating through a white T-shirt on a hot summer day. Let it have the heavy hole logo on it. Yeah. Have you ever hugged a cat on a really humid summer day? Yeah, no. <laughs> it's not fun. But what <laughs> is fun is going to heavyholepodcast.com and dropping some dough for that bonus material. Uh, but that's about it. Another fun thing is going to these upcoming shows uh, to see Coronary Thrombosis, Matty Death's newest band. Uh, we thank him again for his time. It was great talking to him and catching up on the New York scene. Uh, uh, one. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck it, right? It works. Paranoid.